Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who gives us comfort. In the name of Jesus, amen. It's very suiting to come together here on the evening before Thanksgiving to recall and give thanks for what God has provided. And God does provide. And God provides because it's in his nature to do so. In Psalm 145, it says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. God's nature is to be gracious. He does not give us as we deserve, but he is kind to us poor sinners. God is merciful. He overlooks our sin and forgives us for Jesus' sake. And for Jesus' sake, he gives us good gifts. He is slow to anger. He's long-suffering. He's patient with us. He does not close his divine hand of providence and withhold his mercy from us on account of our sin, but he provides for the needs of both our bodies and our souls. And he is abounding in steadfast love. Steadfast love is love that is not broken. It's love that does not grow tired. It's love that does not grow cold. It's love that doesn't get lazy. It's like the Energizer Bunny. I told the kids this this week. It's the love that just keeps going and going and going and going. This grace, this mercy, this long-suffering, this steadfast love, those are the reasons that the Lord opens his hand to his creatures and provides for our needs. It is the reason that we have food to eat. It is the reason we have homes to live in, clothes to wear, people to love and care for us, and every other necessary thing for people to have in this life. It is the steadfast love of God. It is the mercy of God. It's the divine forbearance of God. It is the grace of God. The reason you have anything, the reason you experience any comfort in this life, the reason that you enjoy any pleasure in this creation is because God is gracious and merciful, long-suffering and abounding in steadfast love. Beyond this, these things are what drive God to work out his promises to save us. It's not just bread and shelter and clothing and water and community that God provides, but it is his goodness and mercy and steadfast love that drives God to go above and beyond that. It's what drove God to spare Adam and Eve in the garden after the fall. And that same goodness, mercy, steadfast love, and long-suffering are what God caused God to spare Noah and his family in the days of the flood. It's what God caused God to make his covenant with Abraham. It's what preserved Abraham into his old age so that he would have Isaac, his son. It's what God caused God to preserve Joseph and his brothers during the great famine in the land of Egypt. And it's what caused God to remember his chosen people, to bring them up out of Egypt with many great signs, miracles, and wonders. This is what God is reminding 
the people of Israel today, as we read from Deuteronomy 8. God was gracious to his people. God was long-suffering towards his people, and God provided. He cared for his people as they wandered in the wilderness of Sinai for 40 years. He gave them bread from heaven. He gave them water from the rock that flowed continually to feed and care for them. Their food did not run out. Their clothes did not deteriorate. Their feet did not swell. Every day, God provided so that they could learn to lean on him and to live by faith alone. God provided, and he did so because he's good. He is a good God. And in his goodness, he made good promises to his people. He had promised 400 years prior to this that the children of Jacob would grow to be a great nation and that he would bring them into the land of promise. And above all, he promised that from those children of Abraham who he made into a great nation, who he brought into the land of promise, a Savior would come. And that same Savior would be born to save the world from sin and death. That primordial gospel, that the child would be born of a woman to crush the serpent's head and thus undoing the damage that sin has wrought on all of humanity, was promised and held close to the heart of the people of God. Yet in all of this, God sees the inherent weakness that existed in his people. Because so many times, the people of Israel, throughout that 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, would prove that while they may have confessed with their mouth that the Lord is God, their behavior and their mindset would prove that their God was their belly. Their hope was placed in what they would eat and drink. And so God would chasten them. For times, he would let them experience hunger and thirst in the wilderness. Immediately upon entering the Sinai wilderness, the people ran out of the food that they had plundered from the Egyptians, and they grumbled. They told Moses, would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out of the land of Egypt and into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Sounds like a bunch of children sitting in the back seat of a car complaining. I'm hungry. Where's the food? When do we eat? The Lord, who had just brought them out of Egypt. The Lord who had just opened up the Red Sea for them to cross as on dry land. The Lord who had just conquered Pharaoh and Egypt for his people. That same Lord, just a few days later, they complain against. Why? For a bit of hunger. A momentarily empty stomach. The same God who had worked wonders for them it was certainly capable of providing them with food. But all they could see was right before their nose. Israel's problem was that their moment of discomfort caused them to question the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And that's so often what happens with us. We delight in the goodness of God when we have full bellies, fuller bank accounts, comfortable lives. But then we experience a hardship a financial struggle, a personal failure, a death in the family, 
a dispute with a loved one or anything that brings difficulty and we embrace despair. We forget how faithfully God has cared for us. Our God at the moment, well, it's relief from our pain, normalcy, lack of embarrassment, freedom from resistance or difficulty, whatever we can do to make my life easier right now. We're all about the quick fix. We want that immediate satisfaction, or at least an escape from pain and struggle. When we don't have that, what do we do? We develop spiritual amnesia. And that goodness, that mercy, that long-suffering, that steadfast love of God, it's quickly forgotten. And all we can think of is how big my problems are. And we begin to think of God as the world thinks of politicians. You know that old saying when you think about who you're going to vote for. It's not about the good you've done for me, but it's the good you've done for me lately. Right? As the world sees things, it's not a matter of how much you helped me in the past, but what are you going to do for me right now? You see, people have very short memories when it comes to gratitude, and often we forget how we've been cared for how we've been provided for. And we can think of only what I'm dealing with right now, today. It's not how it should be with God. First, the scriptures teach us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That means that God is going to be merciful. God is going to be good. He's not going to be this merciful, loving, steadfastly caring God one day and a cruel, evil tyrant the next. God is who he is. That's literally what his name means. I am who I am. He doesn't change at the whims of the culture or the world or the fallen perspective of us human beings. No, when the scriptures teach us that he is gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love, that means that God is always good. He was good at the beginning, he was good in the middle, he's good today, and he will be good till the end. He will always be merciful, he will always abound in steadfast love, it doesn't stop. If that were the case, God would stop being God, and creation would cave in on itself, and we would be much to be spared and pitied. No, God loves his creation, and he's faithful to his promises. And also, we human beings, we're called to see him in no other way as the one God of the entire universe, and we are to believe in him as he's revealed himself to us. And that means that we are to trust him when he tells us he loves us. We are to believe him when he says that he opens up his hand and will provide for the needs of every living thing. We are to look to him as a loving father who knows how to give good and perfect gifts. Why? Well, that's what he says. That's how he describes himself. He tells us what he does. And we are to believe it. He also shows us what he does. So what are you to do when we, like the Israelites, experience hunger for a while, or pain, or doubt, or any other hardship as we live in this world, or do the same things that the Israelites should have done? Reflect on the goodness and faithfulness of God. Recount what he's done for you. Remember how gracious he has been. 
he did relieve the Israelites from their bondage and slavery. He did keep his promise to make the sons of Jacob into a great nation. He did greatly and wonderfully, through many signs and wonders, lead his people out of Egypt. And he did many great things after that. He did raise up his Israelites to be a great kingdom. He did appoint a messianic line through his servant, David. He did preserve his people through many toils and hardships, building them up and then disciplining them, chastening them, even unto the day that Christ was born. And so we are to trust in his love for us. Because that Christ who was born has demonstrated the great and perfect love that God has for us. That seed of David, that descendant of Abraham, that one who comes out of the nation of the people of Israel. And we're to cry out to him in faith. God had filled the Israelites with the promises of life, redemption, and deliverance. And he also gave them bread. Even as they grumbled against him. He filled their bellies. They ate. They were filled. They were provided for. God does this for us in every way, too. He does it in a greater way. As Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Just as our sinful hearts often seek to serve our bellies, we often fall into sin. We fall into doubt, and we fall, like the Israelites, into ingratitude. And these can be forms of idolatry, They stem from a failure to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And from this, we need a Savior. And that is who Jesus is. Jesus is the Savior. He is the one who has promised from the very beginning. He is the one for whom and by whom all things are made. He is God's grace. He is God's mercy. He is God's long-suffering. He is God's steadfast love poured out upon us. He's the love of God made flesh for us human beings. And every good and perfect gift that we have in this world is given for Christ's sake. Just as it says in James, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And of his own will, he brought us forth by his word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so we have food, we have water, we have clothing, shoes, family, friends, good government, good weather, good reputation, and every other thing that we need. And that is a gift from the hand of God given for Jesus' sake. St. Paul teaches this to St. Timothy. He says, God created things to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. That means that all things are made holy by the word of God. The promise of the gospel makes things good. That means that it's good to receive the gifts of God's creation in their proper time and in their proper place according to God's will 
and to do so with joy, knowing that as we eat our turkeys tomorrow, as we eat our pies tomorrow, and as we eat every day after that, every bite is a gift from a hand of a God who loves us. And that means it's also good, and it's not always evil, when we don't always receive what we want. When maybe there's not enough money to have two pies. When maybe there's not enough money to have every luxury and comfort in this life. It means that God knows what is good for us. On occasion, want, hunger, thirst, struggle, suffering, and even a little bit of pain can be good for us. God knows this. He knows what we need. He knows where we're weak. He knows where we might stumble and fall. And ultimately, he knows that we need Jesus. And that gift he will not deny to us, but he freely offers him up for the forgiveness of our sins, our redemption from the power of the devil, and eternal life. God makes you holy. Your lack or abundance in this life is made holy. Your physical pain or your physical comfort in this life has been made holy. They are made holy by the word of God as it is applied to you. As Jesus himself says, I forgive you. The word of the gospel makes us into God's holy people. And so what does this mean? It meant that for the people of Israel, God would provide for them. He did so to be faithful to his promises. He fed them in the wilderness, he guided them, and in all that time he was chastening them and refining them as his holy people. He was teaching them patience. He was giving them endurance. He was giving them character. He wanted them to know that they did not live by bread alone, but by every word that does come from the mouth of God. And that same thing applies to us. God wants us to know that the God in our belly is a fickle and wicked Lord. Rather, we have a God who saves sinners. As we remember, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all good things? And so today, we remember that we live by faith. Look at what God has done for us. Recount what God has provided. He's fed us not only with food for our bodies, but he has given us that life-giving bread for heaven. He has given us Jesus, our Savior. And so in Christ, we place our trust. We receive everything from God in thanksgiving, be it a little or a lot. We know that God gives. We know that God provides both good things and bad things in this life under Christ are made holy. There are times when we have more than we need, and there will be times when we struggle. There will be times where our bodies work the way they're supposed to, and there will be times where everything hurts. There will be times when we wake up in the morning and feel ready for the day ahead of us, and there will be times where the challenges of our life set before us seem insurmountable and crushing. Yet in all of these times, God is gracious. He is merciful, he is long-suffering, and he is abounding in steadfast love. And that means we can be thankful even in the most dire of circumstances. Maybe a modern example of this could be seen in 
one of the great historical and literary figures from the 20th century, Corrie ten Boom, uh, as she and her family helped smuggle many people out of the destruction of the Holocaust as they lived in Holland, eventually she was arrested and put in a concentration camp. And by God's divine hand, she was able to smuggle a Bible in with her, and she had great fear that her Bible would be discovered and she would be punished for having such contraband. But in the barracks of the concentration camp, there was also another issue. There was a terrible infestation of fleas. And upon the first bite, she wailed to her sister Betsy, Oh, how can we live with this? How can we endure such a thing? How can we live in this terrible barracks with old straw in the midst of all this stink and this filth constantly nipped at by fleas? And her sister pointed to her, and she pointed to her Bible, and she had her flip to 1 Thessalonians where it says, Be thankful in all circumstances. And at that word from God, there they got on their knees and thanked God for what they had. They thanked God that they had their Bible. They thanked God that they were in that barracks, and they thanked God even for the fleas. As in they were in this flea-infested barracks, they soon realized they were never searched. They were never inspected. The guards never came in for fear of getting fleas. They could read their Bible. They could help and comfort people around them because of the fleas. They were free to worship God. They were free to hear his word of promise in the gospel. They were free to be reminded every day of his goodness, his mercy, his long-suffering, and his steadfast love. This is what Thanksgiving is. As we live in this fallen world, there will be no good thing that we experience that isn't tainted by sin. But we know in the midst of all of it that God is good. And his love for us does not fade. His love for us does not weaken. This is demonstrated in the work that Jesus has accomplished for us as he has saved us. He has redeemed us, poor sinners. And because he is merciful, he continually loves us. He helps us. He feeds us. Both food for the body and for the soul. And so we too can be thankful in all circumstances. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you teach us to rejoice in the blessings that you daily and richly pour out upon us. Help us never to cling to the comforts of this world, expecting to find salvation and safety in them, but help us to realize that man does not live by bread alone, but by the gracious gift of your word that feeds us and makes us new. Help us to know your goodness and your steadfast love so that we can look to you in thanksgiving to the very end of our days. In the name of Jesus, amen.